Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Tech Lasso Podcast. My name is Scott Moss. I am an Instructional Technology Outreach Coordinator for the Los Angeles County Office of Education. This week, I am honored to welcome Dr. Mike Carlin to the Tech Lasso Podcast. Mike works as an assistant professor in the College of Education at Cal State Dominguez Hills. He also serves as the director of the SNAP Institute for Technology and Education. In 2021, Mike was named a top 100 innovator in education by the Global Forum for Education and Learning. And he is the author of ISTE's Computational Thinking Course has taught and is taught at the pre-K through grade 12 level. And there's more, but we just don't have that much time to list all that Mike has done. So welcome, Mike. We're so happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much, Scott. And I am also very honored to be here. So thank you for having me and looking forward to chatting with you today. Great. Me too. Me too. You possess this unique and important blend of expertise and focus. Your doctorate is in computer science and your master's degree is in curriculum and instruction. Uh, The subject of much of your work is focused not only supporting computer science education for students who are typically underrepresented, but also you focus on coaches and professional development to support those kinds of efforts in computer science education. What led you to focus on kind of the typically underrepresented population in computer science education? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a really great question. Um, so, so my career began, and I'll try to move through my journey relatively quickly. Um, I, I grew up in Kansas. Um, I started as a high school biology teacher in Kansas. Um, and during that time, I was the new teacher. And so people assumed like, oh, you must know a lot about technology because you're this new income teacher. And I kind of became by default the technology professional development provider for the school as well, which I enjoyed. Uh, and turns out I, I was good at it as well. And so that was kind of a role that carried with me through my K-12 experiences. I taught in Kansas and then I taught internationally in South Korea and Colombia as well, science and computer science, all grade levels. And uh, during those times, especially when I was teaching computer science during my later years, I started to notice when I was in Colombia, I I was teaching elementary, middle school and high school computer science. And I was the technology coordinator for um, the school as well. So wearing many hats. But what I noticed was at the elementary level, We've got computer science, like digital citizenship, digital literacy, those types of classes required at the elementary level. And all of our students are taking these classes. And then when we get to the high school level and even the middle school level, when these classes are optional and electives, only certain types of students are selecting into these classes. Um, And at the time, it was a very gendered difference between like, oh, all, all of the seniors in my class are guys here, and I have no senior girls enrolling in my classes at all, which is very different than like the elementary students I was teaching. And I was outside of the U.S. context, of course, but then when I came to do grad school at Indiana University, and my focus at the time was on technology professional development, and then also more specifically computer science professional development as well, I started noticing the same things at the state level. I started noticing the same things at the national level. This was the time where the like CS for all was coming out, the Hour of Code was coming out, and all of these sort of national initiatives were coinciding at the same time. 
which um, really helped support my understanding of this um, not only statewide picture, but really national equity issue. And so my focus at the time was on gender, but there are so many underserved students in computer science, just like in STEM. I started out in STEM education and, and it's the same thing there. We've got lots of students who are historically excluded from the STEM and computer science professions. And so I, that was problematic and I wanted to spend my time and energy focused on that issue. And so that's, that's where my dissertation work ended up was looking at a classroom in Indiana uh, and a computer science program that historically had had significantly higher than state averages um, in terms of gender equity in their classrooms and trying to understand what was going on in this classroom, what made it so unique and special. But it's, it's that, to your initial question, the importance of equity in my work has been kind of a growing theme over the years across my experiences in K-12 and in higher education. Wow, that, that's that's great. I wonder if you could share, you know, talking about your dissertation work and other work that's related to that, what are some of the things that get girls and uh, perhaps underrepresented students into computer science? What aspect uh, should those of us who are, who are kind of working along the same lines uh, think about? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So my dissertation focused more on gender, but a lot of the research connects with racial inequities, class inequities, ability inequities, all of those areas where we see underrepresented students in computer science. And what I saw in my dissertation aligns with what some other really wonderful scholars are doing, thinking about like Allison, Allison Master, um, Sepnacharian uh, out of University of Washington, the work they're doing. When you create a classroom or program culture that is more welcoming and inclusive and where students see themselves represented in that culture, that makes a really big difference. And like the teacher absolutely matters. So for example, in my dissertation study, and I'll use pseudonyms for their names, but Michelle, the, the teacher who sort of started the computer science program and had been running it for 20 years, was a woman. Katie, the person who took over afterwards, um, was also a woman. That helped. But more than that, they were able to connect with students in ways that were relevant and meaningful to the students. So, for example, what a lot of the research shows and what I saw in this classroom is that that demographic piece is an important starting point or that identity piece is an important starting point, but it's not the only thing you have to feel connected to that teacher, to that classroom culture. So like, let's say you walk into a classroom and it's a computer science classroom and maybe it's decked out with like stereotypical, I guess what we would call like nerdy things. You've got Star Trek on the walls or whatever. And even if my identity is the same as a teacher's, if I don't connect with that like nerd persona, that's still going to be, like uh, this, maybe this isn't my scene. Like I don't really want to do this. So not, and also like identity characteristics are often out of our control as well. So like making sure that that classroom culture is a welcoming one, re regardless of what a student's interests are, can be really really helpful. And making sure you're connecting with and knowing all your students outside of the classroom, 
what their lives are like, what their interests are, who they are, creating assignments where they have choice in them and can engage in assignments um, from different ways. We saw that a lot um, and that helped a lot. So for example, the teacher had them programming a text-based map. So like if you think back to sort of the early text-based games where you're like, you're in a room, you see a door to your left, uh, right. you know, where do you go? Um, she would do a project like that, but the students had choice over, over what that looked like. So some students would uh, set the game in their house, some would do it connected to Pokemon or a movie they were really interested in. And that way she was able to not only get to know the students, but students had ownership and choice over what the projects were. Um, and it wasn't this like homogenous computer science culture of like everything has to be this certain way, but there was flexibility and freedom in how students express themselves. Um, and that, at least from what we saw, like helped a ton with students feeling connected to the teacher and to computer science as a field and seeing themselves represented within the field and seeing like, oh, this is something I can do. This is something I'm passionate about. Wow. And and you can see how by getting to know the students and their interests, then when you're perhaps talking about what kind of computer programs you can make, so let's say a student is interested in uh, the environment or, uh, equ you know, economic equity or whatever it happens to be, then you can tap into those things and really uh and get in and get into it maybe not such serious issues maybe they're just into you know clothing design or music or whatever it happens to be but that's that's really great and i i like how you really emphasize the the importance of culture even going down to things like the the decorations and not just having posters of you know bill gates and steve jobs in your room and having having some diversity there i think that's hugely important um, as I was looking through some of your uh, work and some of your articles, I think that you should there should be an award for the best title. You know, I finished my doctorate uh, this earlier this year, and I've read a lot of scholarly articles. But uh, what is this? Coding to Connect: Centering Joy and Community in Elementary Computer Science Education. I just love the title of that. So that leads to the question: How do we uh, create joy in computer science? And I think you may have tapped on some of these things already. Yeah, that I and I appreciate that because I struggle with titles more than anything else. <laughs> so I, thank you. Um, that piece was done in partnership with so many people, um, both here in our College of Education, and we work with 186th Street Elementary and LAUSD um, with an ongoing partnership for that work, um, and with the fourth grade teachers and students there, along with the wonderful administrators. So. None of that would be possible without a, a massive amount of support from so many people on all sides. Um, and really what we, what I tried to get into the title there was really what we all centered around because that piece was done in coordination and co-development with the admins and the teachers in terms of what would be helpful for them and their students. What are they looking for? And so while alignment with um, standards and 21st century skills was, of course, important, um, we all really wanted to center a joyful experience where students would have fun, connect with computer science, feel engaged. Um, and so the way we did that 
um, for that study. And we, that was in um, spring of 2022, but we also did a follow-up in spring of 2023 more recently um, that we're writing about together right now. And across both of those, um, we wanted computer science, one, not to be intimidating because, you know, a lot of times, as soon as you say computer science, people understandably, the, the stereotypes come up of like a person alone in the basement coding, just staring at a screen in the dark. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that it was first and foremost, fun, joyful, engaging. And um, one of the ways we do that is through physical computing and robotics where students are actually moving and doing things um, and trying to get away from the screens a little bit and doing more like arts and crafts that connect to coding and computing, unplugged activities that connect to computing and seeing like, oh, computer science can actually be all of these different things. It's not just coding, it's more than coding. Coding is of course a big part of it, but if you look at the California computer science standards that are based on the national framework, like there's a lot more there than just coding. And so we were also trying to tap into a lot of those other pieces of computer science education. Uh, and so we did that through uh, physical computing and here um, the work of Dr. Marina Bears does a ton with elementary coding and robotics and she's a phenomenal scholar and researcher and educator. Um, so like, and she also deeply centers joy and creativity in her work. So I, I try to draw on her work a lot um, when thinking of these things. And so we brought in, if you're familiar with B-Bots, um, I am, they yes. look like, yeah, they look like bees. You can program them to go different directions. We brought in um, the Dash um, bots that are part of the Wonder Workshop bots um, and did. And then we also had them uh, like solve a riddle in binary and um, they did some wireframing to just, design an app that would solve a local problem, trying to bring in, again, that like um, individual relevance or community relevance or cultural relevance where they came up with a, an app to solve a local problem and then shared that with their groups. So there were lots of different activities and we did it kind of in a stations format as well. Um, but the goal being where anyone, regardless of their experience level, um, all the students with IEPs were also part of That's this great. day of events as well. We wanted to make sure um, every student was included and that it was all designed accessibly, um, regardless of ability or experience level. And where the focus was on the students and their interests and like having fun with it, being silly with it, um, being creative with it. And so it, it I mean, I think it went well because they asked us to come back again this past year. Oh, really? And then this past year, we, we co-designed all the activities together with the teachers. Um, and so then we were able to make more curricular connections as well and tie into um, what they were doing in terms of some of their other units that they've been working on throughout the year, which is really fun. Um, but even then, like, yes, we're hitting on the standards and we're addressing those, but Central is let's have a fun, engaging, joyful experience. And the learning will follow, the standards will follow, but we really want to center student engagement, student joy, 
Um, and we, we saw a lot of that. And so that was, that was really exciting wow, to see. That. One of the things that you mentioned was working with local schools and that's, that's wonderful. And I think that is the work of the SNAP Institute. Can you talk more about your, your work with, with local schools uh, through the SNAP Institute? Yes. So I am faculty here and assistant professor, um, but then the other hat I wear is director of our SNAP Institute for Technology and Education. About a year and a half ago, SNAP, the Snapchat people, in partnership with CS for All, um, the national nonprofit supporting computer science education, gave a, our College of Education a large gift that was to be used in support of equity and computer science education. And so a lot of that work that we do is integrating computer science here at the pre-service level so that our future teachers leave with foundational computer science knowledge and skills. But we do that in partnership with local schools. So for example, when we're out at 186th Street doing those activities, we're bringing all of our pre-service teachers with us to help co-facilitate and co-lead those activities. And so then... Pre-service teachers are getting this wonderful field experience where they're helping lead the activities. Students are getting this awesome experience. Teachers are getting ways to integrate computer science into their classroom and getting experience leading computer science activities too. And so that's kind of how the bulk of what we try to do is activities that are really holistic in nature where we're bringing together teachers, students, at the K-12 level, students at the higher ed level, and doing activities all together that are kind of a benefit to everyone. You got me thinking. I'm wondering about the benefits to the students at higher ed. What what do they take away from that? And does that help them uh, kind of change your perspective on on what they're going to do or, or what, they, what they will do in the classroom? Yeah, yeah. Such a good question. So, my the course that I teach here is I teach in our liberal studies program, which is future elementary teachers. Um, and so I didn't start out as a STEM person. I had a lot of really negative STEM experiences K through 12. And it wasn't until college where I had one professor who I really loved. So I was like, oh, maybe wow. STEM is okay. Um, and similarly, so many of our students who are going to be future elementary teachers have had really negative experiences and think like, oh, I'm not a math person. I'm not a science person. I'm not a STEM person. So a lot of what we try to focus on is shifting that mindset. Um, because if you go into an elementary classroom thinking, I'm not a science person, I'm not a math person, that's, that's going to carry over to students. Students are going to see like, oh, maybe I'm not a math person. Maybe I'm not a science person. And those elementary years are really crucial. Students are already starting to form their identities and think about like what things are they good at what things are they not good at and when that messaging gets reinforced early on that like some people are not science people some people are not math people um that carries with us throughout our educational careers and it becomes harder and harder to shift as it becomes more deeply internalized and so we really really try hard to shift those mindsets here so that when future teachers enter the classroom, they do so with a mindset of everyone can be a STEM person. And whether or not it ends up being your career, whatever, that's fine. But everyone can do STEM and can do it well. And a lot of that is around the historical ways STEM is taught and inaccessible ways that is 
that are not relevant or engaging or responsive to students' needs or interests or community or culture. And so we talk about culturally responsive pedagogies and things like that as well. Um, but a big part is helping try to shift those mindsets of, that everyone can do STEM. And when we are able to shift those mindsets here, then that carries forward into future classrooms as well. Right. Um, and so these types of, so you, back to your question, these types of field experiences, I think really help solidify that because when our students, um, we, we have an event coming up next, a week from tomorrow where um, our students are gonna be leading um, computer science activities and 95, 96% of them have never done any type of computer science wow. at all, um, but they're going to do it. And it's a very low pressure, low stakes. There's no wrong way to do it. It's just seeing like these things can be fun. They can be engaging. They can also be beneficial in all of these different sort of problem solving, critical thinking, collaboration, skill development as well. Um, but like you can do this and anyone can do this and it can be fun and joyful and it doesn't have to be scary. Um, and so like that, those types of experiences where it's like actually hands-on working with other people, doing them and co-leading them, I think really helps shift those mindsets as well. At least that's what we've seen so far in the research we've done, that it helps shift those mindsets. That, that is so powerful. And I think of that where if I don't, are you, have you heard the term uh, STEM identity? It was new to me until uh, a few months ago. But I think if you change, you know, the STEM identity of one teacher, what's the possible impact of that working with other students who have come in? And, and I think of, uh, you know, my daughter who's graduated from high school, but, you know, math and science were always a struggle for her. And, you know, she'd be one of those people who would say, I'm not a math person, I'm not a science person. But to have a teacher like that who was once there and now says, hey, you know, you, you can by making things relevant relevant and, and joyful, uh, that's that's so powerful. You've been involved with uh, the CS for All and other movements that really promote computer science equity. If you could talk about that work, uh, and I imagine it overlaps with some of the other things you've been talking about. Yeah, so the CS for All work, and especially CS for CA, just a massive shout out to uh, Julie Flappin and Allison Scott and Roxana Haddad and all the wonderful, wonderful people who are right. leading the CS for California movement. Because, and uh, Kat Goyette, our state uh, computer science coordinator, like, even though California is in some metrics behind other states in terms of like how much computer science we offer and who's taking computer science. We have really phenomenal leadership um, who are doing just exceptional work, um, especially, and, and all of the work that they do is grounded in equity. Uh, and that's so important. So just a massive shout out to, to all the work that they're doing. Um, so, my involvement uh, is in a couple of different ways. Um, I'm one of the co-leads for the higher ed working group, um, along with Solomon Russell at El Camino Community College and Deborah Richardson at uh, UC Irvine, who are also phenomenal people. And I'm very grateful to be able to work alongside of them. Um, and so in the higher ed working group, we, higher, higher ed is, uh, there's two different, pieces of computer science education at the higher level because you have the 
the College of Ed side, the future teachers, people who are training to become teachers and computer science pathways in California, like in many states are complicated and messy. You know, you can teach computer science if you have uh, a math license. Um, you can teach it if you have an industrial tech uh, license or business, but not if you have a science uh, license and there's no single subject authorization for computer science. There's only the supplementary authorization currently, but you still have to go through another credentialing pathway to be able to get the supplementary authorization. So on the teacher ed side, like my, a lot of the work I do is helping, is working with other colleagues and trying to figure out how do we improve these pathways? How do we clarify these pathways? How do we get people who want to be computer science teachers into the classroom to actually be computer science teachers um, with as few barriers as possible? Uh, and that's messy. But then you also have computer science faculty um who teach right. people who want to be computer scientists um and and so there's those kind of two sides of the same coin and a lot of those people who want to be computer scientists some of them end up wanting to teach and some of the people who want to teach computer science end up wanting to be um you know in the field doing computer science work so they they meet in the middle i think um but i think we're really fortunate in other places I've worked, the connections between um, colleges and schools of education and computer science departments and programs aren't always great. And I think we're really fortunate both here at Dominguez Hills, but also statewide to have a coalition of computer science, like computer right. science folks who are born and bred in computer science, like that's their work. And then educators, who also do computer science education, working together across departments, across programs, across universities, even across the CSUs and the UCs. Like there's a lot of collaboration across these programs and departments, which right. you don't always see in, in other states. Um, and so I feel very grateful to be, to be part of that, where we have a lot of unified collaboration working towards similar goals, which right. I think is refreshing. And, and that collaboration piece is is so important. And I know that you uh, led the uh, script, what they call the script training, or is it script or script uh, training that CES, uh, CS for All, and I participate in that. Um, maybe you could give it a little plug and talk about the importance of, uh, again, collaboration at the, at the uh, K-12 level. Yeah, the script training, uh, I'm pulling up the acronym because I always forget at least <laughs> one of the letters, but script is from the CS for all team. It's the strategic CS for all resource and implementation planning tool. And so when I was in Indiana for grad school, um, I was one of the statewide script trainers. And so I would go across the state and I meet with districts and help them come up with a strategic plan for implementing computer science in their district. Um, and it really is a phenomenal tool. It's come to California in the last couple of years. Um, and we have, I'm pretty sure we have trainers in every county now who can do, who can offer the script training. Um, but it's essentially a way to think about computer science integration into a K-12 district uh, strategically. So not just like 
okay, let's start offering AP computer science at one high school in our district. Rather, how can we create a holistic vision for computer science education that aligns with our school and district vision? And how can we make sure that it's equitable and accessible to all of our students and not just isolated to a single class or a single person, but like build capacity for computer science so that throughout our students' experiences, they're getting computer science that builds on itself, not just the same thing in little pockets here and there, but like actually strategically implemented computer science across an entire district. Um, and it's a really, really helpful tool and workshop and the the folks who facilitate it are wonderful um and it i i really can't recommend it enough and the other thing i really like about it is it brings together teachers principals district leaders technology coaches and coordinators usually students too and so then you have this multi-stakeholder coalition you have all these different voices represented trying to figure out the best way and it's also rooted in the context and needs of the school or the district. So it's not meant to be this prescriptive thing that's just like, oh, this is how you do it. It's meant to be very flexible and responsive to individual district needs, um, which I also really appreciate it as well. So I think it's a good tool if your school or district is looking to bring computer science in or expand computer science beyond maybe a few courses here or there. I highly recommend checking out the script training um, because it helps make a cohesive vision where you can pull everything together right. in a strategic way. And we'll have the links to CS Rawl and uh, script training and, and these other opportunities in the in the show notes. Uh, and I I one of the I just remember the importance of that and in involving everyone because if if you train, so you, teachers are trained and enthusiastic about it, but if the principal's not on board, if the counselor's not on board, it's not going to happen. And I remember one thing I recall from the training was them talking about their counselors who might have some of these same biases we talked about earlier, where you know people who take computer science are you know white nerdy people, and if you weren't white nerdy, the counselor might say something like, "Well." You, you probably wouldn't like that. So to train them and to help them place a more more diverse population into these classes is is huge, I think. So uh, that's yeah. that's one of the reasons we really wanted to I wanted to bring that up and, and get that out there. Exactly. And just a quick plug there for um in CWIT, um has a wonderful resource, um, computing for counseling. Uh, National Center for Women in Technology in CWIT. Oh, okay. They have great resources. Um, around computing, it's, I think it's called computing for counselors. Um, and also to your point on admin buy-in, like that's so important too. Um, back to Julie Flappin and Roxana Haddad, they've right. done wonderful research on just the importance of getting administrator buy-in and administrator support for bringing computer science in uh, into schools. So right. yes, completely yeah. agree. And just, just to clarify for our audience, Julie and Roxana are both with uh, UCLA Center X. I think they're both with Center X, yeah. And that's a great organization. We'll include that link too, because they are doing great work to really promote CS equity with multiple projects, actually. So glad you sh you shared all that. Kind of related to this, but you, in some of your other research, you talk about coaching elementary school teachers in computer science and a lot of you know, my job and my colleagues and a lot of people who are listening, I think, 
it's their job to let's let's coach elementary teachers and people who might not you know may not be in their wheelhouse right away what what kind of advice might you give to someone who's in that position to coach elementary teachers in computer science yeah absolutely um a lot of what we found isn't always the most economical or scalable um but when you as a coach are able to be there um one establishing relationships with your teachers uh two kind of like i mentioned earlier like helping shift mindsets um because a lot of at least in the work we've done teachers are hesitant and reluctant to bring computer science or even like technology into the classroom in general so um helping helping lower the barriers and making sure teachers feel safe and comfortable and like they're not there's not going to be consequences if they do this the quote-unquote wrong way and that there's no wrong way to do this and that you're there to support them um and and that happens through relationship building i think um but in addition to that being in what we found worked really well was modeling for kind of we were in elementary and middle school spaces so like modeling the activity for some of the time and then letting the teachers run it co-teaching with the teachers um and it's a much slower approach you know it's not a one-hour meeting and like here's a lesson plan go do it you know you're you're there you're you're working with the teacher you're giving feedback to the teacher um and it's a very hands-on approach but we found that that worked really well it's more labor intensive it's more time intensive and i recognize that that's not always possible in our districts and with the resources that we have. Um, but for us, that worked really well. And we we had grad students that we were able to work with and faculty. So we had like a large team where, where we were able to spend that dedicated time and modeling and feedback. But it, it had a lasting impact where then those teachers could then become leaders within their school and help share that with other teachers in their school too sort of like a train the trainer model or i also always love to go back to the diffusions of innovation model where when you're trying to spread innovation throughout a school starting with people who are already excited and engaged i think sometimes we tend to start with people who are the most reluctant because it's like oh if we can win them over we can win over anyone but if you start with the people who are most excited and engaged already then they become champions and advocates and can help spread the work further. And then you have additional support and buy-in and it's a lighter lift as well. Um, So starting with those folks who are already engaged and doing the work or eager to do the work can also be really beneficial too. That makes a lot of sense. I want to ask a question that I've asked Kat Goyette and other computer science folks on the podcast, and that is teachers learn computer science and they go to teach it but even when they go to even if they've had training in computer science they they may not they they don't know it all and they may be depending on their level they're going to be students who know more than they do and the example i always use is if you're a math teacher and a student says how do i do this problem you don't want to say i don't know right but with computer science there are going to be times when you're not going to know the answer and a lot of teachers are going to be very reluctant in that context to say you know i don't want to teach something if I don't know the content. Do you have any ideas uh, or suggestions about how to address that challenge? 
Yeah, I love that question, especially because when I my my background isn't computer science. My background is science education. So when I was teaching computer science, I was one week ahead of the students. You know, I was right. learning it as I was going, um, and I think that's true for a lot of people in computer science education. It wasn't necessarily our past, but we ended up on it. And I still I still have insecurities. Like if I I couldn't program an app right now, like I my strength lies with um, elementary and introductory programming and computer science and like societal right. impact stuff. But I'm, I still want to say I'm a programmer. Um, so for me, I really like saying, I don't know, because I think it models to the students that it's yes. okay not to know. And right. I think it really models that growth mindset. Um, and that like, Hey, I don't have the answer. That's okay. Let's figure it out together how might we figure out that answer? How might we find it out and solve that problem? Um, so I advocate for that a lot in computer science and in STEM education in general saying, I don't know, like oh, even just science education, like there's this pheno interesting phenomena in the world. I don't really know what causes, um, I don't know, let's say the Northern Lights, but let's go figure it out together. And I think that can be a really, really powerful teaching tool and help students see that you can be a lifelong learner and that that's okay. And you don't have to have all the answers and that's okay. Yeah. So and is it the most, the most fun you can have as a teacher when you're doing that? It's like, uh, I don't know, let's figure it out together. To me, I had the same experience. I think that was as much fun as you can have because it's very authentic and very real experience as opposed to here, let me give you this content. Exactly. And it's driven by student curiosity and student interest. Like that's something they're interested in. Awesome. Let's go figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I like this kind of a theme of, of what you've been talking about is student driven, you know, students interest driving uh, computer science. And I think, you know, I've been talking about how I think all curriculum can be student driven because, you know, you can connect whatever your concerns are, whatever your uh, whatever you're interested in, it can be connected to content. And I think a big challenge, of course, now is students are disconnected from content. They think this is not relevant to me. And especially with computer science, it's like, well, I don't want to be a programmer. I want to, you know, it's like, well, there's more to it than that. And if you let them bring their own experience to it, that's where uh, you can really, really get them. And, and all the other benefits of computer science beyond just, you know, getting paid to be a programmer. So uh, exactly, absolutely great stuff. Well, uh, I guess I'll, I'll ask a bonus question now. Uh, you know, right now, everyone is in education and all over the world, I suppose, is talking about AI and generative AI. Mm. And what do you see as the uh, connection between, you know, computer science education and AI? And, if you know, if there's an overlap there or, or how, how we might address it. I do think there's a strong overlap between AI and computer science. And, and there's movement to include more about AI and the computer science standards because um, currently AI is not fully represented in the AI standards, although there's a lot of pieces that I would argue connect to AI and, and others do as well. So I do think there's significant overlap and I think we need to address AI in education as well. Um, and, and in general, AI is is transforming education whether we want it to or not right. um you know you if you can type an essay prompt into chat gpt and 
have your essay written in 30 seconds. That's um, something that didn't exist a few years ago. That's but transformative, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so a lot of the conversations we have with our pre-service teachers here are, one, what is AI? And two, um, kind of what do you do about it and how do you prepare for it in your classroom? Um, and I really, I greatly appreciate um, the position. You, you saw this panel at, at CS for All, um, but Sophia de Jesus out of Carnegie Mellon University, wonderful yeah. scholar and practitioner. Um, I, I really appreciate how she talks about a lot about let's have caution. Let's slow this down. Like when we're bringing AI into classrooms, one, they're all the AI companies are very clear that they are collecting our data. They're selling our data to third-party vendors. It becomes out of our control very quickly. Um, they're also very clear that like minors shouldn't be using this without parental consent and, and things like that. So um, I think those concerns are really valid while simultaneously, I think we also need our teachers and students to have some understanding around what AI is, what it can do, the problematic racist, sexist, right. ableist biases that get baked into AI as well. Um, and so it's this big, messy thing that we're right in the middle of right now. Um, and I don't know if I have any answers other than I I think, and what we try to teach here is like fundamental computational literacy and computer science literacy, which I would argue also encompasses AI literacy, is really, really important. So that at the very, very basic level, our future teachers and K-12 students know what AI is, know how it works, understand what it's doing. It's not this like mysterious thing, but it's you know, it's building models based on the information and data sets that it's given. And it's using those models to create new things. And those things are based on historical data sets or whatever data sets the AI model is given. And being able to understand that and critique that and challenge it or look at it and figure out when is this a beneficial tool? Do I need 10 ideas for a theme for our winter dance? Great, like, cool, I'll ask ChatGPT that, and it can pop that up, and that's great. So, like, understanding how it can be useful, but also the problematic biases that it can perpetuate, um, and that's really messy and complicated, and I think that all starts with sort of this foundational computer science literacy, where people aren't, uh, you know, hear the word algorithm, and they're like, oh, I don't know what that is. Right. Like, I don't want to think about computer science but where they like have some understanding of this terminology are able to understand how this technology is, is working and what it's doing, um, who's writing these programs, why they're writing them to what end, like all of that sort of critical media literacy frameworks that I think are super important for interrogating all of our technology tools, but especially AI with its growing impact that it's having, especially like generative AI. I mean, AI has been around for a while, right. recommending Netflix movies or whatever. Exactly. Um, but like with generative AI, that's, that's a whole new, whole new twist 
um, that I think our students need to be prepared to understand and interrogate and, and challenge. Interrogate, challenge. I think that's real important. Um, I think in K-12 now, as you know, that people tend to do computer science or not. And I think what you're advocating is that everyone needs, maybe not everyone's going to go, you know, whole hog into computer science, but everyone needs a little. The example I use is, you know, we teach third and fourth graders about how does a circuit work, right? Well, they're not all going to be electricians, but this is a part of our world and we want to understand how our world works. And uh, similarly, we want to understand at least some basics of computer science and maybe, you know, finding an, a word other than algorithm or something that makes it more palatable uh, would help. But uh, I think it, it's vital that kids, as you said, have that ability not only to understand, but to challenge and critique and not just accept everything that uh, algorithms might generate. So that's huge. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's probably a good place to kind of wrap things up. I think this is one of those situations where you and I could probably talk for hours and hours <laughs> uh, about these topics. And uh, I really in enjoy uh, talking with you. And I think uh, you have a lot uh, for us to think about. We really appreciate your time and appreciate uh, your wisdom and your experience in these areas. So I want to thank you. And thank likewise, you. just so grateful for your work on this podcast and for the opportunity to be here today. So thank you so much, Scott. I greatly appreciate it. The Tech Lasso podcast is produced by the ITO coordinator team. We are part of the Technology Learning and Support Services Department at the Los Angeles County Office of Education. This work is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License and use our response form to be considered for inclusion in future episodes. Let us know what you're thinking. Also, share your thoughts via Twitter at LACO underscore ITO and on Facebook at LACO ITO. Follow us on LinkedIn at LACO ITO. Thank you.